Blog Talk Radio. It's Crazy D's Web Show Radio, brought to you by Crazy D's Music Palace, located at 20,003 Harvard Avenue. Also, Crazy D's DVDs and Crazy D's Lord Lamb Models. Don't forget to watch the web show on YouTube. Search Crazy D's Web Show. And now here he is, Crazy D. Welcome all, welcome all to the newest edition of Crazy D's Web Show Radio. I'm your host, Crazy D, and we've got a great topic going today. Let's talk about it. Is the world ever-changing? The world is ever-changing, right? Is it time for us who hold a distrust for Caucasians to let the past go? Is there still a need for the NAACP, Urban League, the Council of Negro Women, the OAAU, that's the Organization of African American Unity, Black Greek Fraternities and Sororities? Have we arrived to the point of the Kings, the Farrakhans, the Jacksons, the Sharptons, and the Marshalls becoming no longer necessary? Or are we setting ourselves up for a major loss? No preparation means we are not ready for the race of race, right? Let's talk about telephone number 646-378-1965. That's 646-378-1965. Let's see. I was speaking to a Caucasian associate of mine about the difference between conservatives and liberals. It boiled down to a story I saw on Action News about a jogger in Shaker Heights being mugged by three youths. I told my friend that the station, in my opinion, was conservative. And by the way, the press and news organizations are no more liberal, in my opinion, than Ronald Reagan. The station sent out an African-American reporter to interview concerned citizens in the same Shaker Heights neighborhood the jogger was from. You see, the story was supposed to be conservative. The reporter was supposed to find a Caucasian who would say the criminal element from Cleveland was crossing the border into Shaker and everyone is in fear. But the man, who was Caucasian, he was a concerned citizen, and he did walk his dog during the day instead of the night due to the crime, did not offer what the reporter was looking for. He did not label the three teens as only criminal deviants. No, he stated it has to do with the economy. When the economy is down, people become desperate. Did you hear that, people? He said it has to do with the economy. When the economy is down, People become desperate. Let me repeat that one more time for you. When the economy is down, people become desperate. This is what this man stated. So the way the the show was supposed to go, the, the piece was supposed to go, it really didn't go that way. He did not give a standard conservative answer. The man gave a liberal answer. 
he did not condone what the three boys did, but he did not label them only as criminals that needed to be locked out of society and locked up. He spoke of the economy as the real cause of acts that some desperate would perpetrate. A conservative would have made the situation a us-against-them scenario, where more police are needed to stop the black invasion from across the Cleveland line into Shaker. I told my friend that was the difference between conservative and liberal. The conservatives are much like a character from out of the movie The Gangs of New York who believed any other group, not of his group, were invading hordes and his men needed to put them down and put them in their place. The liberal mind is one of let us work together as one, no matter what group we come from. We can make America great by working together. That is the difference between conservative and liberal-minded people. One sees the world with a mentality of us against them. The other views the world as one people working together to make the world a better place for humanity. So should we let our distrust for some Caucasians go? The answer is really up to you. One, you answer after a few questions. Do we have the same resources as our Caucasian brothers? Do we have the same educational opportunities as our Caucasian brothers have? Or are youth treated differently for acts which should be put under the category of boys being boys, hijinks of youth? Do we vote for people who do not have our best interests at heart because they marched with MLK or believed in JFK? Do we need our organizations and leaders anymore? Do we need our organizations and leaders' assistance when issues of race arise? Do our leaders not speak for us when we need them to speak for us when we do not have a voice? Have we set ourselves up for a fall? Have we prepared for the future? Do we listen to people who we like and let them talk of our leaders as if a run for the presidency would be only a fairy tale. We know it was in a context of voting for or against the Iraq war, but fairy tale is used to describe an African American's words. When fairy tale is used to describe an African American's words, it is a throwback to race, Song of the South, Uncle Remus, in any context. Our words are not fairy tales when delivered in a speech or during other serious matters? How could fairy tale be used unless to revive a sleeping Jim Crow mind with a catchphrase? The concern for us is not a color concern, in my opinion. We let those who play race games We don't play. It is already too serious to delay. Our concern is with the conservative mind, period. The conservative mind can be exhibited coming from various groups and circles, some who are reported to represent us. Those who believe Obama brings to the four issues Hillary would not discuss unless a black person was running. Some think, though, he can speak and is well-educated. He cannot win, but he brings our concerns to the front, and that is what he is good for. Do you understand that, people? Some people think even though 
Obama can speak well and is well-educated. He cannot win, but he brings our concerns to the front, and that is what he is only good for. And I say that's BS. The conservative mind likes the status quo. Not this time, they say, next time. They say, we like our president to be Caucasian, even if the president is a woman, anything but a black man or a black woman. Now, is that observation too harsh? Look around, watch the news, read up, and see what we face as a people. The decision is yours. Do we still need black organizations? Do we still need black leaders? Decide wisely. And I have a guest today who will be discussing all of these topics right here that we I've just laid down here. His name is Eric Johnson. Greetings. Bring him, let me bring him up. Greetings. Yes. Um, let me first introduce you to the masses of people and let them know how I know you, and then we can get down to it. When I was a freshman uh, taking summer classes down at Cleveland State before the fall, I met this person down at Cleveland State. He was a force. He was a tour de force. Whenever you saw him, he was always there to give advice and counsel, and he was there for the young African-American males that came in, and he brought me in uh, to Cleveland State into a successful situation as being a DJ coming in, and he was able to negotiate me getting the icebreaker because he was with the fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha uh, Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, 1906. So he was with that organization. He brought me in, and every time we, anytime anybody who was in the know, who knows Eric Johnson, he knows that he was mentoring, and he still mentors the youth today. So I wanted to put that out there so you know who exactly we're talking to. And when you see him out there fighting the power, you may see him on TV uh, debating many of the debates on public access and on uh, other stations and on radio. You will see him, you will hear him, and you will know exactly who you're talking about, Eric Johnson. So how are you doing today, Eric? Uh, well, well, thank you for the uh, introduction. I'm uh, flattered greatly. Uh, but, you know, you can't get people anywhere when they don't put in the work, and, you know, you put in the work to do what you had to do. So that was, you know, that was effort to you. That was work that you did. So, oh, I appreciate it. Well, let's get to the first part of the topic, which I know will uh, is uh, close to your heart. And so let's ask the first question. Is there still a need for the NAACP, Urban League, the Council of Negro Women, the OAAU, and, of course, the black fraternities and sororities? You know, as long as black people struggle, as long as black people are behind and second-class citizens in this country, we always need to be organized at any level. Uh, the effectiveness of those organizations, that remains to be seen. But the bottom line is that we always have to be organized. We always need to be ready. We need to unite around issues and topics, whether it be around the ideals of a fraternity, whether it be around the 
the beliefs and struggles of a civil rights organization like the NAACP, will it be around the economic uh, the economic uh, musings of the of the National Urban League? These kind of organizations have a purpose to at least make people aware. So awareness is key because a lot of times if we didn't have somebody saying something, we wouldn't know anything. Well, my question is, we watch TV and we see uh, it's way past integration now. People are just uh, co-mingling together, and you see it on the MTV generation, the BET generation. You see all these people, that you see them at the parties, and everybody seems to be having a good time. Is this a direct effect from these organizations working behind the scenes, or is it just that times are changing, just like the topic? The world is ever changing, right? Well, I, I think the the concerns of our people have changed. Well, I think the percept the perceived concerns of our people have changed. I honestly don't believe we. I don't believe our changes our changes our concerns have changed that much. But our perceived concerns have changed. Uh, what we think is important. So we not we're not really concerned about our community coming along as much as we are concerned about ourselves coming along. There used to be a time where black, where the African-American community looked high and low for their people to come about and to achieve and to do activities. Uh, I mean, if you look back in history, uh, black athletes, black entertainers, you know, we're number one supporters, big fans. You know, and we always look for our people to ascend to the top. So, you know, I think we kind of lost it. I think we more or less now are we're, we're much more uh, what's in it for me. So uh, we're the we're the in within the I generation more. So like when we look at the yeah. athletes, uh, people look at the athletes, and then all of a sudden, instead of looking at them and saying they're striving for. Uh, and, and uh, gaining goals for black people as a whole, they look at them now as, look at that guy, he's doing that, and because I can't do that, I'm going mean, to... Go you, you think about it. One of the greatest civil rights workers there was was Jackie Robinson. I'm not talking about what he did on a baseball field, and although that acclaim gave him status to move forward, but he took what he had, and he moved into the realm of activism and social concern in the African-American community. Uh, you look at people like, I mean, even Jim Brown, you know, as aggressive as he was, he he told, you know, the other brothers that were playing ball, you know, you ought to be concerned about this to a certain extent. So there, there, was, this, there was this concern. I think, but I think nowadays what we see is a lot of, um, a lot more, I'm going to get this for me. Uh, that's why I think it's so unique, you know, when you look at the New England Patriots uh, and how Randy Moss has fit into the New England Patriots. Do we really think Randy Moss would be as happy or as quiet as he is with the Patriots if they were 0-16 versus 16-0? and you know, I mean, the point is that here's a man who played football all these years and basically spent the last few years losing. And now he's playing with a team that hasn't lost yet. 
So apparently there's something there where even he's had to learn how to play on a team, you know, and he still has his moments. But even he's had to learn how to play on a team. Even the same for Terrell Owens. You know, he had to go down there and learn how to play on a winning team. And, and, and I'm not sure he's done that yet. But he, look at those two guys, two athletes, you know, very absorbed with themselves and what they can do on the field. I'm not getting enough catches. I'm not getting this. Throw me the ball. Well, Keyshawn Johnson, the ultimate, uh, just give me the damn ball. You know, I mean, that's the kind of attitude some of these guys are coming out here with. And what's really sad is that it's become an attitude that's in younger and younger athletes, you know. And and basically that's the that's a great analogy because that's the attitude that uh a lot of us have today too. What's in it for me? How many how what can I achieve? I don't worry about you, I'm not gonna even try to pick you up. Is that pretty much what you're saying? Yeah, I think there's a lot of the uh I'm not gonna pick you up. But I I don't think it's intentional. But I just think in in the in the way we've been conducting ourselves, it's just how we do. And that, and that's quite unfortunate. Uh I I said to that, you know, the young people are gonna to need to find their civil rights movement. They're gonna to need to find their moment. I, I thought they found it with Jenna Six. I thought the Jenna Six would signal uh a change in attitude, a change in um What's going on? And even since Genesis 6, there's still been so many crimes perpetuated against young African-Americans, especially young African-American males. You know, it it hasn't sunk in yet. And our culture doesn't even speak to it. You know, the, the youth culture, what does it speak to? It speaks to uh, got to get my grill right, got to get my, my rims right, let me get this piece, let me do what I do, let me knock over a couple of bras, let me, let me take from this man what he has so I can have more. You know, and, it, and that's what it speaks to. That's what's spoken to our culture now. You know, there's no love spoken to our children. There's no love spoken to us through our entertainment. So where do our leaders fall into this? The Kings, the Farrakhans, the Jacksons, the Sharptons, the Marshalls? Is it that they're no longer necessary, or is it that people aren't really watching what they're doing, or are people pretty much still using them as the rudder to the ship while they go out and do what they do. They know that they still have someone back there holding down the direction of the ship. Well, I think you have to be more savvy to be in leadership today. I think Jesse benefited from a time where when you put Jesse Jackson in a room, uh, personality-wise, you know, you probably just had one Jesse Jackson. When you put Jesse Jackson in a room today in a meeting and there's ten guys of his ilk in the same room and they're battling each other to see who's, you know, superior. So I think the leadership is emerging. I just don't think it's uh I don't think we've killed the eagle enough. I mean I noticed this, I went to the uh I went to the Congressional Black Caucus and there's a lot of talented, young African-American leadership out there. The question becomes is how do we engage our community in solving the problems? And and one of our problems has been the lack of engagement. You know, we, we, we do a lot of talking. We, we, we get into these uh, halls of 
education and academia and intellect, and we want to display our knowledge of research and display our oral capabilities. And, you know, we're not actually out there on the ground, you know, putting our shoulder to the, you know, wheel and making things go. Now, there's a lot of, there are some people that are doing it, but a lot of people aren't. And, and that's where we're really falling down. So would you say that we're setting ourselves up for a fall for not being prepared, or do you think that it's just right now the people who fought the civil rights uh, issues from the uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s are now saying, well, I'm not going to put my neck on the line so much. I'm moving over here into the corporate situations and these another segment of African Americans have to deal for themselves, like much like what you said about them coming up with their own, uh, with the youth coming up with their own calls that will make them galvanize and move. Well, I, I think to some extent it, it would be nice if people, you know, we don't do a good job of transitioning leadership in our community. Our leadership goes through a struggle. It's combative. Change is combative in our community. There's no smooth transition. There's no uh, there's no education process, no leadership development that says, look, uh, I want you to take this over when I step away. I mean, even when you look at our family to a certain extent, you know, when the patriarch or the matriarch dies, you know, there's, there's infighting among siblings, you know, as to who's supposed to do what, and, I, you know, I run this. So, you know, it's it's something that's in us, and, and we just haven't learned how to dispel it yet. And I don't. And that, what, I, what I really think is that we haven't seen enough success stories that demonstrate what happens when we work together. So, would you say the um, lack of enthusiasm for some of the established civil rights leadership and uh, congressional black leadership towards the Obama campaign can be directly traced back to that type of uh, situation, uh, thought process that's inside of us that we don't want to uh, give up leadership or or extend leadership to new legs, new eyes, new hands to get it done, or do you, or, or is it another part which is still pretty much from the same extension of that first part, which is if a black man is elected president of the United States, many of the civil rights leadership may believe that they will no longer be relevant because, hey, the problem has been solved, people will say, and and they're in fear of that. Their relevance won't be there. And you know what? That is such a very good analysis of the process. You know, because then the question becomes, all right, you got the black president, what more do you want? And what I would say to anyone is that, okay, he's not the president of the black United States, he's president of the United States. So he's going to be beholden to a lot more people than just the 11.8% of the population that's African American. So it becomes incumbent upon us is how do we prepare ourselves to deal with the with the possi- with the possibility of black leadership at the in the White House. 
I mean, think about it. Here's a good example. South Africa was in apartheid in one month, and then the next month, the apartheid was over. There was so much rioting and looting and killing in order to establish who was in control. You know, it wasn't until, you know, Brother Mandela was able to get his presence out there and gain some semblance of control, not as and and also being backed by other powers as well to take that control. But when it first jumped off, it was crazy. And, and I don't think, you know, people really don't understand what being a black president means. I mean, this means that this man, now more than ever, he's going to have to listen to other people aside from you. He He actually might... He actually has to watch it because for every step he does, he's going to be considered being uh, favoritism or, or racist because it might be viewed as being in favor of black people. So there's a lot of if-thens that we haven't really calculated into the process. Um, and, and let's remember that the president, you know, you really don't run the country anyway. Okay, unless you've got all your chess pieces in a row, and unfortunately the Democrats do not, okay, and, and, and the Barack machine does not have all its pieces in a row, you really can't make the kind of change happen that you see with someone like George Bush. George Bush is the beneficiary of not just his first term or his, you know, his second term, but he's the beneficiary of positive procedures put together by Ford, Reagan, and his father, Bush. So all this is poured into him, and all these players were in place. I mean, there's a reason why you have a Halliburton that gets $400 billion contracts to do disaster relief work in New Orleans, and then has another $100 billion contract to do repair work in Iraq and then has the nerve to move their corporate headquarters to Dubai. You know, so, you know, there when you when you get this kind of power, pieces have to be in place. I just don't know if we'll ever have enough pieces in place to actually see that kind of benefit. So is that why you think that Clinton, we have like three minutes left, so we're going to have to wrap this up, but we definitely need more time for topics like this because this is great. But do you think that's why Clinton even let fairy tale come from out of his mouth when uh, speaking of Obama? Because, like I wrote in my piece here, you know, to say fairy tale is like a catchphrase to the sleeping mind of Jim Crow to say that this is uh, Uncle Remus and he's ter- everything that's coming out of his mouth is like a fairy tale. And though they said it was about you know, did he would he have voted for or against the Iraq war, is still to even use the word fairy tale concerning a black man is a taboo to me. But well Well, you know what? Everyone loves Bill, not everyone hates Bill. Everyone loves Hillary, not everybody hates Hillary. You know, I'm telling you right now, all it takes is one crack in Brother Barack's armor and they're gonna hate. They're gonna hate Obama too. Okay, 
He's uh, if you ask me, I honestly believe that it's uh, the, the the Republicans are looking at chops because they know at the end of the day that when all else is equal, race matters in this country. They know that, and they're banking. They're banking on. They're banking on the Democrats going to the convention unable to decide on a candidate. They're banking on Hillary or Barack being the candidate because they know all they have to do, one slip up, and they got it. Mm, that's something else. Well, tell them where they can reach you and what you're, what you're doing. We've got one minute left, and we got to get out of here. Well, my name is Eric Johnson. I'm at Upbeat Cleveland at Hotmail.com. Uh, always trying to look for the positive change in the community, uh, doing a lot of work. Uh, be aware Janice Eatman is conducting a program for the New Orleans uh, retreat and d- disaster relief trip on January 26th at Strosacker Auditorium at Case Western Reserve, and I'll be on the panel for that presentation. And uh, there's just a lot of good stuff going on. We'll try to get to that if you can because we're going to talk about what's happening with Katrina. What is it now? Three years later, and uh, be really interesting conversation. And we're going to have a, we're organizing a trip to go down there and to continue our uh, disaster relief work. So by all means, find out what's going on and hit us up. Upbeat Cleveland at Hotmail dot com. All right, we'd like to thank Eric Johnson for being our guest on today's show, and I'll be speaking with you again, Eric. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. You too. And you've been listening to Crazy D's Web Show Radio. Don't forget to log on to myspace.com forward slash black ice movie and watch the uh, trailer of the movie. Uh, It's a 20-minute mini movie of the DVD, which had to write up in the call and post. And um, I'm out of here, and we're gone. Okay, let's go. It's your boy Woods, man.